الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الدين عند الله الإسلام وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم تعلموا الفرائض وعلموها الناس فإنه نصف العلم أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وسسفكر الله الكرام Brothers and elders, <coughs> our deen of Islam that Allah Ta'ala has blessed us with is a complete and perfect deen and every aspect of life is catered for, we have been given complete guidelines from before a person is born what applies that too has been explained to us and after a person passes away what applies that too has been explained to us and obviously everything in between that goes without saying one of the very fundamental aspects of our deen is taharat purification person wants to perform his salah then it is a fundamental requirement purity of the body besides ghusl he has to have wudu also then the purity of the place his clothes must be pure and clean all these purities will apply then only his salah will be valid person wants to make tawaf staharat a precondition and so many ibadats person wants to recite the Quran Sharif and holding the Quran Sharif in his hand then he must have wudu also. Otherwise he must at least have ghusl. So taharat is a very fundamental part of our deen. So all these ibadats are affected by taharat. Just as taharat and purification of the body is necessary for ibadat to be accepted, purification of the clothes, purification of the place. Likewise a very fundamental aspect for the acceptance of our ibadat is the purification of our wealth. Taharat of the wealth also affects everything. If a person's wealth is pure, then that salah which he performed with the clothing that he bought with the pure wealth, that now will be in order. The food that he ate and nourished himself, that food which he bought with pure wealth, that will now make that salah in order. And likewise all the other things. So purification of the wealth is also extremely important, fundamentally important. Purification of the wealth is across the board. Person is buying something, he's selling something, now how he does it, that will affect the purity of the wealth. Either it will make the wealth, keep the wealth pure, or it could taint it. How the person deals with others, he's hired somebody, he's paid him his due, or he took undue service on someone. Or he provided some service but he did half a job and took full wealth. All this now is going to affect the purity of his earnings. And the purity of his earnings will affect the ibadat. And the acceptance of the ibadat. So, like all these other aspects affect the earnings of a person, affect his ibadat as well. Similarly, it comes to the aspect of inheritance. This is money entirely. 
So this too has to be done correctly, it has to be done properly. Otherwise, it, if it is not done correctly, then it could affect the wealth of a person, that wealth of his is affected, his ibadat is affected, and Allah knows best what else becomes the end result of it. So the aspect of inheritance is not just something that is a one of the things that is fine to know, it is fundamentally important that a person is familiar with what are the aspects that pertain to the laws of inheritance and that this is something that is correctly applied when the situation comes up so that every person is given their rights and every person's wealth is also pure. This discussion that we will inshallah have on this topic Initially this was a talk that was this delivered by my Ustad Hazrat Mawad Abdul Hamid Sahib So this is roughly going to be on the same lines that he had This was perhaps about some 20 odd years ago that he, or maybe more That he had delivered this talk So more or less it's going to be on the same lines The examples that he gave etc And it's beyond basically his world or rather his ulum and knowledge We just try to be the vehicle to pass it on so to come to this aspect of inheritance itself, the subject that we wish to deal with, in the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Wasallam gives us how important this is. That in one Hadith, Nabi Wasallam encourages the Sahaba. He said to them, تَعَلَّمُوا الْفَرَائِدِ وَعَلِّمُوهَا nas That learn about these aspects that pertain to inheritance, the laws of succession, and teach it also to others. And then Nabi Islam says, فَإِنَّهُ نِسْفُ ilm." This is half of knowledge. This is half of knowledge. Further Nabi Islam says, وَهُوَ yunsa." Remember, this will be forgotten. A time will come, people will forget about it. They won't even remember that something applies in terms of the laws of inheritance. They'll just do what they want as they want. وَهُوَ أَوَّلُ شَيْءٍ يُنزَعُ مِنْ أُمَّتِي They are among the first things that will be uplifted from the ummah because of their neglect because of their careless attitude towards it, and they will just like, forget about it like anything even applies in terms of inheritance. So this itself highlights that Nabi Wasallam gave this very strong encouragement. And to this extent that Nabi Wasallam is saying that teach it to others also. Learn it yourself, teach it to others also. When it comes to the aspect of inheritance, there are two aspects that we have to focus on first. One is that which applies to each person in his lifetime regarding his own inheritance when he's gone and the other is that applies to his heirs when he's gone so every person there's two people responsible here each person is responsible in his lifetime to ensure that whatever has to be done in order to have everything in order is done so that tomorrow when he's not around then his estate is still distributed correctly, he's laid the foundation for it. He's done his duty, then comes the time when the day he's not around, the responsibility will now devolve upon the executors, upon the heirs. Now they need to take the necessary steps to ensure that everything is done correctly. So in order to discuss this, firstly in terms of the person, each of us, what we have to be ensuring that is in order in our lifetime. This is each one's responsibility, my responsibility, our responsibility. Unfortunately, generally what is the 
manner in which we approach these type of things. They will, no, it will all happen. Don't, don't make an issue about it now. Everything will happen in time. Everything will happen in time. Which time? When it's already too late to now sort things out. See, not worry, everything will get sorted out. Hota rahega. Everything will carry on. But we forget that life is very uncertain. And you might not have another chance to sort anything out. Tomorrow might be too late. Now is the time, not even tonight. Now is the time. So now is the time, who's going to sit now and do anything? Now is the time to make the determination and to make the decision that well I need to sort whatever is necessary for me to sort out in my lifetime. Now what are the things necessary for each one of us? The first thing is that we should ensure that we don't leave behind problems. That is our responsibility. Each one of us, we are responsible to ensure that we don't leave behind problems. And how does that happen? So now just to understand this by means of some examples of how sometimes we set the foundation for problems. We set the scene for all kinds of issues afterwards. So these are just one or two examples, these are not exhaustive, these don't count or rather cover everything. But this gives us an idea of how sometimes we ourselves set the scene for difficulties and problems and issues. One is a very common issue in the business sector. For example, a person now is started of a modest business, life is carrying on, things are carrying on in a very, very small scale. As time passed now, his children are growing up. Then now one son grows up, he's the first son, so now the business is also becoming a bit demanding. So that's now the direct place where he has to end up. So he gets into the business. Uh, things are growing a bit, the second person comes in, he is also now brought into the business. At that time now things are more or less running well. So now the third son comes, he doesn't have anything to do in the business. So where is he going to? He's going to go study something, whatever the case is. The business belongs to the father, fine, everything is carrying on. So his studies are all funded from the business. Then the daughter has grown up. Her marriage has come up. Everything is funded from the business. Father's business, obviously. So life is carrying on. In the meantime, now the father starts taking the back seat because he's aging also. And the sons are moving things forward. And everything is just all from the same pot. Everybody keeps eating from the same pot. Everything, whose is this? Says ours. Everybody says it's ours. But unfortunately what happens afterwards is now suddenly the father passes away. And the father passed away. For the past 10 years he wasn't active at all. The two sons in the business were doing everything. The one brother now got set up from the business. He is doing his own thing. The daughters, two, three daughters are set up. They are doing their own thing. They married somebody else, whatever. And now the suddenly the time came to distribute everything. So the son who got set up from the business is also going to share completely like his brothers from this business. The daughter is also going to share from it. And now these brothers are saying that, Nauzubillah, this is the kind of comment sometimes people make, that Nauzubillah, Deen cheated us. Astaghfirullah, Nauzubillah, Himin Zalik. Deen cheat, didn't cheat, cheat anybody. We brought about the difficulty upon ourselves. That now for the 10 years, they say, what we got? We were just getting allowances. Everybody else was set up. 
We were doing all the, from uh, whatever the business was, we brought it, took it to another level, five times the amount, grew it, ten times the amount, we grew it. And everybody's going to share from the same pot with us. So that, unfortunately, is our own doing. Now this is just one example. The father is gone. He's in his cover. But he set the scene for really bitter battles afterwards. Now those who have something in their hand want to hang on to it, which is wrong. And those who don't have it, they want to grab onto it. And unfortunately, it becomes... One is whatever the money battles get left one side and then the terrible situation that comes up is that then family relations are split and the difficulties that come along with that. So therefore this is the first thing that that situation should not be allowed to happen. Now there are many ways to overcome this. This is not the time to go into all those details of how to overcome it. But the simple thing is that we should consult, ask that this is a setup now, how do I sort this out? Or how do I set things up in such a way, tomorrow I'm not around, everybody still gets their due right, and nobody feels they were cheated in any way. Nobody feels that they were done down. Now that's the responsibility of each person. That he ensures that he sets the scene for a very amicable resolution after he's gone. An amicable distribution after he's gone. This is just one example. There are many ways to resolve these issues. We're not going to go into those details now. But just to highlight that we create these problems by not sorting out things up front. This is one example. Another example which is very common that now there's an average income family. The husband is earning. Now we're obviously going to take the context where the wife is earning something well within the limits of Sharia. Because it's not correct for a woman to be out in the business world and interacting with males and whatever else, all that goes along with it. Let's just say for example, she's teaching some children in one madrasa, she's earning 2,000 rands a month, the husband is earning something. So now all this is pooled together. The house is running. From this pooled income, they're buying some things. As time goes now, the income has increased on both sides. So now the income has increased, they decided to buy one car. So now this pooled income is paying for that car. In the meantime, the one son grew up, he also found a job. Now he's helping out because the average income family, now everything helps. So now this car expense came, so he put something inside too. He's also contributing. But now after some time, the car came, one day then they decided to even buy one house too, and they paid for the house in that joint manner. Now time passed, 20 years, 30 years passed, suddenly somebody passed away. Now somebody passed away, now who does this belong to? Now all the time when everybody was asked who it belongs to, everybody said ours. Now when somebody is not around, who it belongs to, everybody saying mine. All the hours suddenly went away. The hours went away in seconds, forget minutes. Now it all became mine, everybody is mine now. And I put in the bigger share, so it's mine. And I did this and I did that. Now this is our own doing. That there was no clarity. And what we can term as the definition of property. No definition of property. That who owns what. There is never a situation in being that something is not really owned by anybody. 
either something is owned by one person or the other, or if it is jointly owned, they are fixed proportions. It's being owned 50-50, somebody owning 70, somebody owning 30, whatever it is. But it'll either be owned as a sole ownership by someone, or it'll be owned in fixed proportions. Now those proportions are meant to be known. If it is something owned jointly, then everyone must know who owns what. Who owns half of it or who owns full. It must be known. And this is not something that only applies to bigger assets. The car or the house or whatever. Every item. Sometimes now a couple got married. So now people are giving them hadiyah. MashaAllah, very good. Sometimes you don't know this hadiyah came for the husband or came for the wife or came to both. So everything carries on, same story, ours. But now when the time comes to sort things out, it becomes such a nightmare. What belongs to who? There's no definition of property. This is a crucial thing that if that gift came, something came into that home, there must be a clear understanding of who it belongs to. Hazrat Mufti Shafi Sahib Rahmatullah the Grand Mufti of Pakistan of his time, he towards the latter part of his life had become very ill. And he had become bedridden. So he had eventually confined himself into one room in the house, which had become, so to say, despite at that age and in that condition, health condition, from that bed of his he was still continuing with his work of overseeing the madrasa affairs and so on. So whatever was meant to be done would be done from that room of his. People would come, go. So one day, in the room while he's there, a cup of tea was brought for him. So he had the tea, and as soon as he completed it, he said to one of his sons who was there, take this away back into the kitchen now. He said, okay, just now, you probably was busy with something. He said, just now. So it was kept on the side. After a few minutes, he said to him again, please take this away now. So he said, yeah, just, just now, I'll take it now. But now fine, this is not something that crucial or urgent. Whatever he was doing, he felt this is something that I should just finish off first. But when he didn't do it, again another two minutes passed. So Shafi Sahib with a lot of sternness in his voice, he said, didn't I tell you two times? Why are you delaying in this? So in any case, he came and took it. Then he said, but I just want to understand one thing. So after all, a cup, it needs to go to the kitchen. But what's the... There's definitely something in this you are... There's a lesson in this, I want to learn the lesson. That this urgency, what is the... There's something behind this. So he said, don't you know that I've already written my will out. And in my will I have clearly stated that everything that is in this house, I have already made it over and given it. This is now no more belonging to me. It belongs everything, all the contents of this house, everything belongs to your mother. This is hers. I've already gifted it to her. And only that which is inside this room, that belongs to me. Now this cup doesn't belong to me. It was inside... It's belongs to the other part of the house, it's your mother's belonging. Now I have written in my will that what is inside this room is mine. And if I suddenly pass away and this cup gets left here and somebody takes it as part of my belongings, then this is going to get distributed as part of my estate. It doesn't belong to me. And I will be responsible for that. Now this was the caution, this was the extent of the importance they gave to this, that everything must be known. Who owns what? Because that will affect what happens to it thereafter. 
And that is each person's responsibility, that there must be clarity in this. That one spoon, who owns it? That one item in the kitchen, who owns it? That appliance, who owns it? Whatever general things it might be. Now sometimes you say that this becomes a very complicated thing, very difficult thing. How do we overcome this? It's very simple. Very simple, but there are other ways also. One simple way is that one person becomes the owner of it. Now for example, as it stands, you might be scratching our head. I can't make head and tail of what belongs to who. So very simple thing. For example, now the husband, he gifts over everything to his wife or sells it to her at a nominal price. 5,000 grand, I sold you everything. Now you are the owner. Now some might say, but I'll get left with nothing then. It's up to you now, you have to keep something. You sell half and keep half. Whatever the point is, the thing is, as step one, there needs to be some kind of clarification. By means of a gift, by means of a sale, by means of coming to some kind of clear conclusion on the matter that who owns the items. Thereafter what comes in, if it is some day-to-day thing that can be made the rule, it comes in, it will be given to a certain person, finish, that's her property. If it's a major item, it will be defined, it will be identified. This belongs to the father or the mother, this belongs to the son or belongs to the daughter, who it belongs to. The definition of property, this is a very, very crucial thing. So therefore, this is something to be conscious about. These are the aspects that will now affect what a person, what happens to his estate after he's gone. Now this is all part of each person's responsibility in his lifetime. Number one, that he doesn't leave behind such a situation that is going to create problems. In his business, in his other affairs, whatever transactions he might be involved in somewhere. And likewise in this personal property, in the issues of the household things, there must be clear definition of property. That's one responsibility of his. Then the other responsibility of each person in his lifetime is to have a will. This is his responsibility in the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Sallallahu has very very strongly encouraged the aspect of a will. And one Hadith Nabi Sallallahu says, Man mata ala wasiyatin, mata ala sabilin. The person who passes away having drawn out his will, then he passes away on a clear path. He passes away on the sunnah. This is Nabi Sallallahu way. That he is encouraging it, he is commanding it. He passes away on the path of taqwa, he passes away as a shaheed. And his maghfirat will get made. Subhanallah. Now if we think now for a moment, we are sitting here, how many of us do have a will? Now, tomorrow might be too late. But now this will is a very important thing. Yes, there are various situations. It might not be compulsory in certain situations. But in many situations it's necessary, compulsory that there should be a will. Now the same story that well, it will happen later, inshallah. And after so many tashkils that we keep saying, inshallah, and don't go this too, we think now it'll carry on maybe that next year then it'll carry on. The thing is that this is something that should never be delayed, the aspect of the will. And in the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Wasallam is also reported to have said, Tarkul wasiyati arun fid dunya wa narun fil akhirah. That a person does not leave behind a proper drawn will, this becomes a means of disgrace for him in dunya, becomes a means of punishment in the akhirat. 
This is where, as a result of not having drawn a proper wool, things went haywire. Things weren't done correctly. Now he led to that. He left the scene for that. Because he didn't draw the wool out, and as a result things didn't happen correctly. So he contributed to that situation. So this becomes a big problem. So therefore this is necessary, that a person has his wool drawn out. In terms of the wool, one is a farz wool, compulsory wool. What is a compulsory wool? Where there are things that are necessary for a person to declare. Just to understand basically first the wool. Many a times the concept in the mind about a wool is that I have to write down who will get what. That is not part of a wool. That is something which already has been determined for us. When it comes to the proportions and ratios, it comes to the heirs who will inherit. That is something Allah Ta'ala has already ordained and Allah Ta'ala has already predetermined this in the Quran Sharif. Nabi Islam has given the explanation in the Hadith Sharif. And nobody has the right to interfere with this in any way. This is Allah Ta'ala's prerogative. When a person comes in dunya, what does he own? What does he really earn? What does he own? Nothing. He comes without anything. Allah Ta'ala then gives him whatever he gives him as an amanat. Anything we possess is Allah Ta'ala's gift, it's an amanat. If Allah Ta'ala had given this command, that when a person passes away, whatever I had given him, that was an amanat that was loaned to him in his lifetime. Now that he has passed away, give everything away in sadaqah. Allah Ta'ala had given that command, that too was justice. That too was complete justice. But Allah Ta'ala out of His grace and mercy said, no, give it back to His family. But give it back to His family in proportions that Allah Ta'ala determined. And Allah Ta'ala is the greatest of planners, and Allah Ta'ala is all wise. Nobody has any right to interfere with those proportions, with those ratios, that who will get how much. This is also a subject in itself. The hikmah and the wisdom behind those ratios and proportions, there's no time to go into those details. But everything in deen is filled with profound wisdom. That is not our department to start going to delve in those wisdoms. Our department is to find out what is the law of Allah Ta'ala. And to act accordingly. So in any case, one is a farzwal. So the farzwal doesn't include this part. This part is already done. This only requires one clause. That I hereby direct that my estate be dis- be wound and distributed according to the Islamic law of inheritance, full stop. That will take care of itself. Then who are the surviving heirs? The muftis will be consulted and they will give us the detail that in the light of the person who has passed away, these are his surviving heirs, this person inherits so much, this person inherits so much, and that is what must be applied. That is it. A person cannot disinherit anybody. Allah Ta'ala has decreed that so and so will inherit. If a person has written down that I have disinherited so and so, that is not worth the paper is written on. Allah Ta'ala's command will remain. So what Allah Ta'ala has decreed, who will get how much, who will get, who will not get, that will apply. But what applies thereafter, what is the first will about? A person has upon him responsibilities either of hukukullah or hukukul ibad which have not been discharged. He needs to make a note of this and he needs to record this in his will. One is for example, 
day to day running issues, creditors, etc., which are recorded in the business books, fine. The day somebody is not around, the executives will refer to his records, in business records, and work out from there what's what, and they'll be able to pass it on and sort it out. But sometimes there's some private loan is taken from somebody. Whatever the transaction is done which is not known to others and there's some rights left over in that. Whether he's owing some right, whether he is owed some rights. And if it is not recorded somewhere, it's not going to be known. That is his responsibility to record it. He should make a note of it. If it's not in the will proper as an addendum to the will, once it gets sorted out, he marks it off and signs it. This is done. But this is an important part of that will that if he has any hukukullah, hukukullah in terms of Allah forbid our person didn't make the qaza for so many years, he started off. So he should write down, 20 years of my life I hadn't made qaza. If I pass away from the one third of my estate, this fidya should be discharged. And now he's discharging the qazas every day, five salahs a day, whatever it is. So every week he will now keep adjusting that addendum so the day that he's not around, they will reconcile it and see what's left over and sort something out. Likewise, other hukukul ibad, hukukullah, somebody didn't perform his hajj, he's now very old, doesn't seem like he's going to be able to make it, he needs to write it down, I haven't performed my hajj, it's far on me. From my estate, one third of the estate, this hajj should be performed. So all these hukukullah need to be recorded. Then hukukul ibad is owing people things, people have are owing him something. This is apart from day-to-day things which are recorded somewhere. These are private loans, etc., whatever things. This needs to be recorded. Then whatever other rights might apply in some way or the other, which, if they are not recorded, it will cause a problem later. It will cause somebody's right to be tempered. He needs to record all this. Now this is part of the farz will. Likewise, any amanat, somebody has given him amanat to look after and he has these things in his possession, he is so recorded. This is something long term, this is by me, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to so and so. He is to write it down. So these are all the things in terms of the farzwal. In this farzwal, something that needs to be very clear as well. This is something which is a common issue. That many a times, whatever the reasons may be, whether it is a tax saving exercise, whether it is some other expediency involved in it, or sometimes somebody bought some asset. Now somebody bought an asset, the father bought the asset, and he put it on the son's name. The Somebody bought one asset and he put it on his daughter's name. People form family trusts, and... Now you got all the beneficiaries, the son and that daughter and the wife and whoever else. But now the issue is and the question is that what is stated on paper is that the reality. Very often not. Because expediency demanded for whatever the reason and everybody at that stage and that point in time when that transaction was done, so they know okay this belongs to so and so, it belongs to the father, he just put it on the son's name for whatever the reason was. But with time, everybody forgot. Now, 20 years later, 10 years later, the father passed away. The son says, well, this is my name. Can't you see? Black and white. Can you see whose name written here? Look between the lines also, you won't see your name. There is nothing between the lines, obviously. Blank spaces. But now, 
Nobody can really say for sure what happened here. 15, 20, 30, sometimes it's some property, whatever the case is, nobody really knows what happened. So, if something is apart from what is on paper in terms of the legalities, then that is something needs to be very clearly spelt out. That this item in reality belongs to so and so. Otherwise it's going to create problems. It needs to be very clearly stated and all those who it affects should be witness to it. So that tomorrow nobody has any claim in contradiction to that. So this is also one very important thing which is a very common issue and which creates many problems. Then together with that in the, this is part of the first world, then comes what is, we can call as a sunnah world. The sunnah world, what it requires basically is, meaning these aspects of sunnah, that a person appoints executors to take care of the winding up of the estate. <coughs> one very important point on this note is, number one, a couple of important points. Number one, who do we appoint as executors? Many people appoint their non-Muslim lawyers as executors in their estate. Now that person might know how to handle the legalities. Does he know deen? Is he going to apply the shariat? Or is he going to tell somebody that don't worry, you get more in this, don't worry about whatever else is being said. You get the bigger share here, you keep to this. What is here in the will? Whereas that will is haram. Because that person wrote something which is not valid. So the person who is appointed as an executor, there should be at least one person who has some knowledge of the law of inheritance, or he is somebody who has the right mindset, he'll go to the ulama kiram the muftiyan kiram and he'll get the guidance. He's a person who is of good standing, and he's a person who will do things correctly. And then somebody with business experience or other experience of this of this type of work, by all means, but people who have deen in them. So that everything is done correctly according to deen. A person is appointing a non-Muslim attorney, what that person is going to do? How he's going to wind this up? So this is also an extremely important thing. Then the other important aspect about executors, that the executor is an administrator. The executor is not the owner. Unless obviously he's, if he's one, sometimes a son is an executor, so he owns his proportion. But he doesn't own everything. The executor doesn't have the right to now, of his own accord, do what he wants, sign out of anything, sell something off. No, that's the prerogative of the owners. He's a manager. He's an administrator. He needs to coordinate everything and make sure it happens correctly. He doesn't have the right to, of his own accord, make decisions, this will get sold off, that will get bought off. That is not his prerogative. If he's a shareholder, then he has an equal right to the extent of his shareholding. He doesn't have the right to do or to decide on behalf of everybody. That will be everybody's joint decision. This is also an extremely important thing to note about the executor. The executor himself, this is a very, very delicate job. Very delicate task. This is a very serious amanat. Because the executor will be held responsible for what is the outcome of how this happened. How it was unwound up. How things were distributed. Because he is now the person that was made responsible. The person who's gone, he so to say discharged or left this trust on his shoulders. When I'm in my grave, 
you do what I would have done if I was alive. So this is a very, very delicate task. It is a very sensitive thing. It's a very big amanat. And therefore, this is something which needs to be handled with utmost care, utmost diligence, that nothing goes out of line. Then another aspect in the will is what is wasiyat. Wasiyat, one is wasiyat of part of the estate. So a person is entitled to make a bequest, to bequeath up to the maximum of one third of his estate. But this bequest cannot be made for any person who will inherit automatically. Automatic is, for example, the wife, she'll inherit automatically. Or the wife passed away, the husband, or children, or parents. These are all automatic heirs. There are others, depending on if there's no children, others will come in. So there are certain people who inherit automatically by the decree of the Qur'an Kareem and the Hadith. Such a person who will automatically inherit, any bequest for such a person is null and void. This is also a common problem. Sometimes somebody, she, some lady now will say that when I pass away, this piece of jewelry must give it to that daughter of mine. That's a bequest. And that daughter is an automatic heir. So that bequest is null and void. It is not permissible to carry out that bequest. If all the heirs out of their own accord happily say we gifting it, out of our share we are gifting it, that is their prerogative. But not on the basis of that bequest because that bequest is null and void. Sometimes the father says, well this cow of mine and I'm gone, that son will take it, and this property, that son will take, all that is null and void. Because these are automatic heirs. So those who do not inherit automatically, a bequest can be made. For example, that 10% of my estate must be given to some charitable cause, to the masjid, to the widows, or that friend, or whoever. Somebody who is not an automatic heir is permissible. To the maximum of one third of the estate. If a person has a small estate, it is better rather to, even if he doesn't make any wasiyat, or make a small wasiyat. The Bishlaus has actually encouraged this. And if he has a very large estate, this is an opportunity to make some investment for his akhirat now. That the day is not around, then this 25%, 30%, maximum of 33 and a third percent, that this must be now given to the masjid, madrasa, some charitable cause, build some boreholes, fix some boreholes, whatever it is, he's investing something for his akhirat, this is his last opportunity. So that is to the maximum of one third, this too is something he can put down in his will. And this is something to take advantage of, to make some investment for akhirat in the time when we are going to leave. Then together as we said wasiyat, one is this wasiyat, wasiyat of property, wasiyat of wealth. Another part of the will is wasiyat in terms of advice. This is also a part of wasiyat. Nabi Wasallam. there was wasiyat that he gave. This was wasiyat, many things. Among the wasiyat Nabi Wasallam gave in his last moments, As-salah wa ma malakat aymanukum. Be very, very conscious and careful about fulfilling your salah. And be very careful of how you treat your slaves, your servants. Be very careful about it. This was Nabi Wasallam's wasiyat. All our akabir, the sahaba, many of them, their wasiyats are found in the books of hadith. Many of our akabir left lengthy wasiyats. This is advice. 
advice to our family, advice to others. And many a times this wasiyat has a very deep impact. A person is gone. He is now, so to say, talking from his grave. Now that advice he gave his whole life, which they didn't take to heart, please perform your five times salah. Now he's talking from his grave. Please ensure you perform all your salah with jama'ah. And make sure you recite Quran Sharif daily. Now it has a different impact. Maybe it didn't, nobody heard in his whole lifetime, they might listen to him when he's gone to his grave. Dear our father is talking from his grave now. There are many, many wasiyats that have been printed of our kabir. This can serve as a kind of sample for us. We can use this as a model wasiyat and put down some advice. Something we should do. Something that we should take advantage of. Allah knows best. Those words which we couldn't get across in our lifetime, it changes somebody's heart after we're gone, that too will bring sawab and reward for us in our grave. So this is as far as the will is concerned. Now these were the things upon the responsibility upon each person. As you mentioned, each person in his lifetime, there are responsibilities upon him in terms of his estate. One was that he makes sure his affairs are handled in such a way that he doesn't leave the scene for problems later. Number two was the aspect of definition of property. Complete clarity in issues, complete definition of property. No gray areas. Everything properly known, who owns what, what belongs to who. And then the aspect of the will. We discussed that in detail. Now comes the aspect upon, about the responsibility of those who will come after him. Person has passed away, so now the responsibility devolves upon his executors and his heirs. So now they have responsibilities. Now what are their responsibilities? When a person has passed away, the first responsibility is to take care of his funeral, his kafan dafan and his uh, burial. So that will be the first charge against that estate. That will be taken care of from his estate. Somebody decides of their own accord to take care of something, that's up to them. But otherwise, this will be paid for from his estate. After his funeral expenses have been paid, the next immediate responsibility on the heirs is now to start winding up the estate without delay. Many a times this sounds like kind of insensitivity person, his, that water on his grave hasn't started drying up, you're talking about his estate. Gee, why, you have to start talking about his estate because hukuk are involved. One person had come to him to become his murid. So he asked him, you truly serious about making Islam? You want to reform yourself? You genuine? You serious? He said, yes, I really want to do this. He says, well, you see, the thing is that in your area where you come from, this is a very common story. That people don't worry about distributing their inheritance correctly. And sometimes generations have passed and the estate of several generations up has not been wound up. Now if you are serious, you want to make your Islam, then you first go and sort all this out. You go and trace it. How many generations back you have to go, you go and trace it. Then you find out who are all the surviving heirs and somebody has passed away who are their surviving heirs and you work out all this and you make sure every last cent is given to the rightful owner. This person said, but how do I do this? This is a mammoth task. Where do I start? He said, I will help you every step of the way. 
But till you don't do this, don't talk about becoming murid. Then this is just all a deception. Then you just want to do certain things to just appease yourself. But you don't want to do what matters very, very deeply to everything. As we explained right at the beginning, that this wealth affects everything. It'll affect the salah a person performs. It'll affect his hajj and umrah. It'll affect his food. It'll affect every ibadat of his. So you see, then you just, not, you're not serious. So the person said, no, I want to do it. He said, fine, I'll help you every step of the way, but you do it right. This person went. It took him a long time. He went and traced the family lineage about several, four or five generations up. Four or five generations up, people had passed away so long. Their children had passed away. And he went and traced the last But Somebody was in one end of the country, somebody somewhere else, somebody had migrated. And he, now after all that, to now still get everything, encourage the parties that have been holding on to certain things. We need to sort this out, got them ready to sell off those assets, to gather the things. Then find out the right proportions of each person, locate them, get it to them. And all that was done. This person was genuine, he was sincere. He went and did it, it took him over a year and a half or something. Finally he came back after all this was done, and he presented all the detail. This is what has been done, this is how it has been sorted out. Another made him murid. He says, now you are committed, now we can go ahead, now your Islam will take place. Otherwise, then this is just, just lip service. So this is the importance which our Kabir gave to it. Now likewise, a person has passed away, there are people's hukuk involved there. One person was very ill, people had come to visit him. There was one Buzruk also who came, so he was sitting on the side. The person was very, very ill. It was night, there was a lamp that was lit there, the lamp was burning. After some time, this person started breathing heavily, he passed away. As soon as he passed away, this Buzruk was sitting there, he immediately extinguished the lamp. Now it's night time, it's dark, and everybody's in darkness. So somebody started protesting, what, what, what you did? Why did you extinguish that lamp now? How do you even see what we're doing here? So he said, somebody will set, uh, ask somebody to go and fetch something else to light a lamp or something. He said, look everybody, listen carefully. This lamp belonged to this person. While he was living, this was burning for his benefit. We also were here, it was burning for his benefit. Now that he has passed away, this belongs to all the heirs. It doesn't belong to him anymore. And we don't have permission of all the heirs to use this. So how can we use somebody else's property without that permission? Therefore it had to be extinguished immediately. And as a result he extinguished it until somebody else brought something of their own and lit it. He says this is hukuk, it's the rights of people. And this cannot be delayed and should not be delayed. So this is not insensitivity. This is a right that Allah Ta'ala has made compulsory upon us. So yes, the mechanics of it might take a while, the logistics might require some time, but ASAP as they say, if it's not the same day, the next day, one, two days later, the decisions need to be clearly made that what belongs to who, and how is this going to be carried from here. What is going to be sorted out? Everybody decides, no, we're all going to be partners in this thing, well and good. Whatever the case is, either way, but there needs to be an immediate resolution to the issue without delay. Then, in this regard, the first aspect is that the after the funeral expenses have been paid, the debts, whatever this person is owing, that will be paid out first. Debts are a very crucial thing. In the Hadith Sharif, it's mentioned on so many occasions 
Nabi Sallallahu when a janazah would be brought, he would ask that, is this person owing anything? So many a times the Sahaba would say, yes, he's owing something. Has he left sufficient funds to pay it? No, he hasn't got enough funds to pay it. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you perform the salah. I'm not part of this janazah salah. Somebody would then take responsibility, okay, his debts are on me now, I will sort it out. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would then come to perform the janazah salah. He would not want to be part of the janazah salah of a person who has had debts on his head and he didn't have the ability, the funds to pay it. Debts, loans, this is something that is established in the end. There is leeway for it. But open all the books of Hadith Sharif, wherever this has happened, this was for necessities. There was never anywhere big, big loans for wealth creation. This is something that has come from the Western concept, from the capitalistic way of life. That person gets into big, big debts for wealth creation. How to grow the empire. This growing the empire, this is a capital. Yes, something is growing on its own steam. Person now has got excess wealth and now there's something available to buy, he'll buy. But to just make it grow for the sake of growing, that growth itself becomes objective, that itself becomes a driving thing in a person's life, this is a capitalistic way of life. Got nothing to do with deen. And deen, yes, somebody will grow a lot also. There were those Sahaba, Hazrat Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu ta'ala an, when he passed away, he had four wives. And the wife's share is one-eighth. And if there's more than one wife, they will share the one-eighth. So he had four wives, each wife's share was one over thirty-two. And her share came to eighty thousand dinars. Eighty thousand in our context, Kruger ends. That was one over thirty-two. Now multiply that, that multiplying by thirty-two times will only give us one eighth still. Then multiply that by another eight. Then we'll get the full amount of the estates. So they also had wealth, they also grew. But they didn't grow for the sake of growing. What came? Allah Ta'ala blessed somebody, came, alhamdulillah. They used that for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. So this is a very crucial thing, not to have all these big, big debts on our heads. But if a person has the means to pay it, obviously, either way, the thing is when a person has passed away, the first responsibility is to have this paid. In the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Sallallahu says, a person whose debts are not discharged, then his matter in the Akhirat is also suspended. In other words, his entry into Jannat is suspended until his debts are fulfilled. Until his debts are fulfilled, his entry into Jannat is suspended. Can be imagined what a serious thing this is. And so this is the first responsibility. If a person has passed away, and in an Islamic state, now obviously this will be done, that all his debts will be fulfilled. If he doesn't have any cash, he's got some assets, properties, whatever, that will be sold off to pay the debts. If everything is getting sold off, there isn't one cent to distribute to the heirs, the debts will get paid first. Nobody will get anything till all the debts are discharged. It is not permissible to distribute anything to the heirs till the debts are fulfilled. So this is the first responsibility, the aspect of debts. After the debts have been fulfilled, then from the balance that is left out, one third of the balance, that will be the one third if he's made any wasiyat. Then that one third, the wasiyat will be discharged. What we discussed in detail about the wasiyat. And thereafter, if he didn't make any wasiyat, whatever is left, otherwise after the wasiyat is discharged, then the balance will be distributed to the heirs 
according to the ratios that Shariat has already predetermined for them. They will not be able to make any changes in this. Nobody can make any changes in it. This is the law of Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala has decreed this. And this is how it will be. Everybody will get according to what their proportions are according to the Quran and Sunnah. This is basically the summary of the aspects we needed to discuss. But just there are some aspects which one or two points more to bear in mind. One aspect is that of gifts. On gifts, now somebody gave somebody one small present that we don't even have any issue with that. That is a straightforward thing. But there are certain things which are gifts in our mind which we need to know what is the reality of it. Very common thing is, many a time, sometimes you're talking to somebody, says that, well, mine, I sorted everything out. What you sorted out? Says, no, my house, I gave it to my wife. It's hers. Mashallah, very good, very big hearted, mashallah. Gave the wife. The house, excellent, no problem. Then, just to now make him understand what is the implication of what he's saying, says that you understand full well that she's the owner of it. Yes, yes, I gave it to her, it's fine. See, you know that she, tomorrow she can sell it off also. Says, no, 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 she can't sell it off. Says, maybe she wants to give it to her brother as a gift or something. Say, what her brother? Never, impossible. But then you gave it to her, it's hers. Says, no, no, she can't do all this. So in other words, you've never handed control, you just made a statement. And for that gift to be valid, there are certain requirements. That that gift, she has now the control of it. In other words, she has been given the control of that. Afterwards, if the husband out of mutual agreement is managing it, whatever the case is, that is up to him, up to the party's concerned. But the control is hers, she's owning it. It belongs to her. She has the right, she wants to give it away tomorrow to somebody, it's up to her. She wants to sell it, it's up to her. Otherwise, that is not a gift. Now, this needs to be understood whether it was validated or not. Then we spoke about these family trusts. They have a whole lot of names there, but it was never given to them. Now, for example, the person put the beneficiaries in this family trust are A, B, C, D, got his sons, daughters, everybody, but he never gave it. Now, he put all as equal beneficiaries. But when he never gave it to them formally as a gift and handed over control, this remained in his ownership. He passes away, this is part of his estate. It's part of his estate, now the sisters will get half the share of the brothers. This will also, the same thing will apply to this family trust that he has created. So all these things are important to know. Obviously the amount of things that need to be discussed in this are many. This is not meant to be an a comprehensive or exhaustive discussion. This is just to highlight some things to make us conscious that this is a very, very delicate part of our deen, a very important aspect, something that we should make, we should inquire about, find out, don't take just any decision anyhow. We make sure it's done right. One other aspect, which probably is a very pertinent aspect to finish off on, that sometimes a person has more than one wife, but only he knows about it. Now to start off with, this is not in keeping with the spirit of Shariat. Shariat, the spirit of Shariat is A'alinun Nikah. Announce the Nikah. Waj'aluhu fil masajid. Have it in the masjid. Or sometimes you get some people, mashallah, very smart, says, no, well, I'm going to do it correctly. I'm going to have it in the masjid. I'm going to announce it also. 
So then he, he decides he goes and finds one masjid in China and announces it there. And has his nikah in the masjid. Everybody, nobody can object that he didn't do it in the masjid. But it doesn't serve the benefit of people of South Africa. So the thing is that the spirit of that nikah is to announce it. Announce it to those who he is going to interact with. They should know that he's married. In any case, that's a subject on its own. But the issue is that if he hasn't made it known, or some way made it known, that so and so is also his wife, and now tomorrow he passes away, she comes to claim, everybody says, who are you? We have no idea where you came from. Somebody's rights are going to be trampled. Not everybody will be like that incident that Allah Ibn Jawzi rahimahullah has written about. There was this person, this he was a businessman in Baghdad, and... Everything was carrying on very well, pious person. Only his wife started seeing something is not the same. Things are not, everything is carrying on fine, he's just treating her just the same, but some sixth sense is saying something has changed. So one day she said to her slave woman that tomorrow when he goes in the morning you follow him. And you just see, observe from a distance what's going on. So in any case, the next day she followed quietly. He went to his shop. After when his Zohar time, he went to the masjid. After Zohar, he is not coming back to the shop, he is taking another turn. So she quietly followed, he came to some other suburb, then he comes to some house, and he goes away inside the house. So she went to the neighbor's house, and she made some pretext to come in, and started talking in some roundabout way, and they inquired who lives next door, say so and so lady lives next door, okay. And uh, then in the part of the conversation, well she just got married not long ago to this trader, to this businessman, mashallah, the whole story came out. So she came and reported the whole thing to her master, to the owner, to the first wife. Allah Ta'ala gave her whatever heart he gave her, that now despite knowing what's going on, she didn't make one bit of it known to the husband that she knows the game is up. And she carried on living with him without any change in her demeanor and way. She carried on serving him just as well. What was going in her heart that she knows and Allah Ta'ala knows. This was halal, but it's human nature for her first wife. This was something according, this was not in keeping with the spirit of deen that he did it secretly. That was wrong. But the nikah itself was valid, it was halal. So in any case, life carried on. Sometime later this person passed away. This person passed away, so one few days later, this lady called that slave woman. She said, look, you know the house that he had gone to. Now you take this bag, because she had wound up the whole estate. There were either five thousand dirhams or dinars in there, five thousand gold coins. Since you take this to her, this is her share of the inheritance. And you tell her that this her husband has passed away, this is her share. This lady comes, this servant comes, knocks on the door, she's called in, she sits down, what has brought you here? So then she says that I am so and so, I've come from this house, I've brought some news for you. What is the news? Says this person, your husband was sick for a while, He's passed away. She wasn't aware the person passed away also. So she became emotional, whatever. Then she says, the other part of the news is that I brought this bag. His first wife sent it. She wound up the estate. This is your share of the inheritance. So now when she gave her that bag of money, this lady left it there and she woke up and went to one cupboard. She pulled out a sheet of paper and she came back and she says that, look, you take this money and return it to that lady. And you say to her that, look, I was his wife. But whatever happened, he had divorced me. And my iddat is over. And there's the divorce, he had written it and given it to me. So I am no more his wife, I am not entitled to this. This is hers, you give it back to her.
Can we imagine the taqwa of both parties? If nobody, if she didn't send the money, there was nobody to ask any questions. If this lady kept quiet about it, there was nobody to ask her. But both knew that Allah Ta'ala will ask them. Both were conscious that tomorrow they have to stand in the court of Allah Ta'ala. Dunya, how long we can get away? Yes, we can get away one day, two days, but akhirat, the qabr, the day of qiyamah, they had that consciousness in their hearts. So therefore, this is the consciousness with which we have to approach this whole aspect of inheritance. This is the consciousness with which we have to approach every aspect of deen, our whole life. That tomorrow we have to stand in front of Allah, we have to answer for our deeds, and therefore we have to make every effort to keep everything as we started off right at the beginning. Fundamental aspect of our deen is taharat. Taharat of our body, taharat of our clothing, taharat of our everything else that we do, taharat of the food and purity of the food that we eat, taharat of our wealth. Keeping our wealth pure in our dealings, in everything, in our inheritance matters as well. Allah tabarak wa ta'ala give me and all of us a tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. اللهم لا نحصي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير وجعل عواقب أمورنا بالخير بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير اللهم ثبتنا على الإيمان وأمتنا على الإيمان واحشرنا يوم القيامة مع الإيمان يا مقلب القلوب ثبت قلوبنا على دينك يا مصرف القلوب صرف قلوبنا على طاعتك اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه المعين والحمد لله رب العالمين One very important point which got left out we were talking about the responsibility of the executives and the heirs So we came to the point about that they must now after everything is paid out debts are paid out to distribute the inheritance That is now their responsibility to make sure every person gets their rightful share In this regard used to insist that especially the females don't even take their word for it that my share just give it away to that madrasa or give it away to that masjid or give it to they share put it in their hands if they say I don't want it to put it in their hands let them then do what they want to do with it initially sometimes a person out of whatever pressure whatever somebody else said I am giving mine away so they feel obliged to do it or now somebody comes and says that now Inheritance is here, so what should I do with it? Which madrasa must give it to? Now if somebody is owing somebody money, we come and say that your money that is being owed to you, where must I give it? Money is owed to you, it's yours. I need to give it to you. So likewise, there should be no pressure of any sort. Whether it is direct, whether it is overt, whichever kind of pressure on anybody to do anything in particular. Another one aspect that was left out was that when winding up the estate, sorting out the issues, many a times, Personal items, they are just taken and just distributed to anybody. This is, just give this away to someone, this old clothes, give it. Nothing can be just disposed of. If they are orphans, then this is even more critical. We cannot even take the orphans permission to do it. If all are adult, all happily consent, okay, all these items, give it away from my side, whatever my share is, that too is fine. But the best thing is, somebody buys off that. Now what is the value of all these things? Put a value on it. 
Fine, this is 10,000 rands, there's a 10,000. Now he can do what he wants with it. Give it in sadaqah, do whatever he wants. But this aspect about this, every single thing forms the estate, whether it is the smallest item, an old shoe, or whether it is the most valuable asset. Everything forms part of the estate, therefore without the joint consent of all the heirs, and if there's orphans, the consent also is not valid. Then that heirship has to be totally put aside, and totally in full, without any anything short in there, that has to be held in trust, until such time that he is able to take off his bank. Allah Ta'ala give us